With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a new season of Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill podcast. We are back and thrilled to be so. My name is Corey Cohen, your host for this podcast. And with me for this season preview episode is the former co-host of this podcast, now over at Panther Lair, Jim Hammett. Jim, thank you so much for joining me in this one. Uh, Really excited to to break down the team. You've got so much uh, great access. Uh, You follow the team so closely and uh, you're, you're just so knowledgeable about this team. So really appreciate you coming back to the pod. Yeah, always. And it's, it's kind of our yearly tradition to get together uh, right before the season. So uh, I hope we can continue this for years to come. Absolutely. I would not have it any other way. Uh, So for people who have listened in the past, as Jim mentioned, sort of a yearly tradition, uh, basically what we're going to do, we're going to sort of do a season preview, breaking it down by units. So what for each position should we expect to see from this new pit team, returning players, new players who stood out in training camp, all that good stuff. And then at the end, we'll do uh, expectations for the season and we'll, uh, we'll give a record prediction that will sure to be wrong. Although Jim did go 12, for 12 a few years back so uh you never know you might uh, you might just have to listen to him and put all your money in uh jim let's start with quarterback this has got to be one of the easiest ones because outside of who's the primary backup there's really no drama when kenny pickett decided to come back for one more season that is what got everyone excited for this season otherwise this could have gotten really bad and maybe a little bit dark but kenny pickett's back and the expectations have to be really high for him with, you know, how much he has grown under this program and what kind of a leader that he's turned into. Yeah, absolutely. And, and with Kenny Pickett even covering camp this year, it's like he was almost like 
I, I didn't even pay attention to him because you kind of knew what he was. There were so many other position battles you had to watch. Uh, with Kenny Pickett, you knew he was a starter. Uh, Pat Narduzzi came out and said right away Nick Patty was the number two. So it was almost like you didn't have to watch the quarterbacks because you kind of knew what happened. But, you know, with Kenny Pickett uh, coming back, this will be his fourth year as a starter, uh, fifth year in the program. He did have that first year in 2017, started one game when we know that was quite a game against Miami. But um, yeah, I mean, if the thing with Kenny Pickett these days is uh, you want to see a little more consistency out of him uh, statistically. Obviously, he's a great leader. Uh, he, he finds a way to kind of gut out victories, and he's done that uh, in the past. But again, 13 touchdowns, nine interceptions last year and the year before. So I think this year uh, you're kind of hoping to see a little more, uh, you know, in the way of touchdowns. Um, I think he's an NFL draft prospect. I think he was last year. Um, but I don't think he kind of liked what he was hearing. I think he was probably going to be a sixth or seventh round pick. And by coming back, I think he's, you know, aiming to be, you know, third, fourth, fifth, and maybe with a great season, even higher. So I think he's pretty determined. Uh, I, I think, you know, what you have with this position. And I, I, I do think that that jump in stats can happen and probably will happen. It'll be very interesting because he still has, I know one issue last year for Pitt fans was the offensive coordinator and Mark Whipple. And part of the deal with Kenny Pickett coming back is he actually has a really good relationship, it seems, uh, with Mark Whipple as the offensive coordinator. And there have been some times where a lot of Pitt fans have been frustrated. But with Kenny Pickett, he really seems to trust Whipple. I mean, is that the read that you get as well? I, I do. And I, I think if you look back to the 2018 version of Kenny Pickett, when Pitt, Pitt was a heavy run team, I had two 1000 yard running backs and Kenny Pickett, I don't know if he was a, a liability, but almost more of a game manager. And, you know, even with some of these struggling offensive teams, the past two seasons, I think Whipple has helped kind of shape Kenny into a draft prospect, into someone that, you know, the NFL is looking at. So, well, I, I do think there are some reservations about Mark Whipple and a lot of that is definitely warranted by the fan base. I also do think he helped uh, kind of turn Kenny Pickett around uh, for his career. Yeah, we'll see that this could be a huge year for a lot involved, uh, you know, in that coaching staff with Mark Whipple and of course, Pat Narduzzi, the head coach uh, running backs seems to be fairly deep, fairly stacked. You've got AJ Davis, Vincent Davis and Israel Abanaconda all returning all had some really great flashes last year, really the last couple of years uh, with AJ and Vincent Davis. Should we expect that, that all three of them take a big step up? And is there one that you think might become the primary running back? Yeah, I, I think kind of the hope uh, starting at, I think in spring ball was kind of that Izzy Abanacanda would kind of take that big step forward. And you started to hear a little bit about that during fall camp this year. And, uh, you know, to what the coaches are saying, what the players are saying when they talk about him is, you know, I think a lot of it is true. I mean, when you look at him, he is five foot 11, he is 220 pounds and he runs a four, four. So, I mean, he has all those traits. He has everything you would want. And, uh, so I think the expectation is for him to take a really big step this year. I mean, he only carried the ball 28 times for 95 yards last year. And I think a lot of the reason he didn't play a lot, uh, you know, Mark Whipple, uh, Andre Powell, and even Kenny Pickett alluded to is. He never really got the mental aspect of things down uh, with pass blocking. I think there was a couple of times where he just missed the block and uh, you know, you can't let Kenny Pickett take a hit like that. And I think he, he allowed that to happen, but uh, physically, I mean, he's the biggest and the strongest and the fastest. So I think there's a pretty high expectation for him. 
Uh, Vincent Davis uh, obviously had his best game of the year uh, in the season finale against Georgia Tech, two, I think around 250 yards. Uh, I, I think he was kind of suffered from poor uh, run blocking from the offensive line, but I think when given space, I think Vincent Davis is a pretty heady player. And, you know, for being a small guy, he kind of knows what he can do, where he can go. And I, I think he's really smart with kind of shielding himself from taking big hits. And obviously, A.J. Davis, uh, he's he's proven to be a decent pass catcher in his career. Uh, you know, he doesn't really get the extra yards, but he gets to the yards in front of him. And I think there's something to be said for that. So I, I think they do have three uh, running backs capable of gaining yards this year. But I think if the running game is going to take a step forward, I think a lot of people are hoping that Abanda Kanda can really take take it to the next level. He definitely has a ton of potential that I know a lot of Pitt fans uh, were excited in the small flashes they saw of him last year. And we'll see if he can take that step up. Uh, looking at the uh, the wide receiver position, and I'll include tight end, uh, pretty deep and a lot of experience. So at the wide receiver, you've got Taysier Mack, who's a senior, Shockey Jacques-Louis, who's a senior, uh, Jordan Addison, Jordan Addison, excuse me, he's a sophomore, but really shined out last year. Trey Tipton's a senior, and then Lucas Kroll, who came in as a transfer, uh, now a senior. So what, I mean, with this unit, it, obviously the passing game hasn't been uh, exceptional in part due to inconsistent receivers uh, for a few years now, really since Tyler Boyd. Uh, there hasn't been one stellar receiver or one, you know, 100% go-to receiver. Uh, are we going to see something from one of these players, Jordan Addison, or maybe one of the the seniors? And uh, also at that tight end position, what, what should we expect to see from Lucas Kroll? Yeah, I, I think Jordan Addison is going to, you know, he was the top receiver last year, and I, I expect that going forward uh, this year. Uh, he's, he flashed a lot of potential, and you know, he, you mentioned Tyler Boyd, and he kind of does remind me of Tyler Boyd, a little yep. bit shorter, but kind of that uh, smooth with the ball in his hands. Uh, he can run reverses, he can return kicks, and you know, he's pretty reliable in, in, you know, playing in the slot and on the outside. And nothing he does surprises. Nothing surprises. Yeah, that was one of those things last year, uh, you know, even not being around the team, uh, when you talk to everyone, and you kind of knew Jordan Addison right from the first day of spring ball, he enrolled early that he was going to be a big part of the offense and, and he was right away. So he, he lived up to the hype. Uh, then you have guys like Shockey, Jacques Louis and Taysier Mack. I mean, they've played a lot of football here. Uh, Taysier Mack had 60 catches two years ago in 2019. Uh, you know, both of them have always seemingly dealt with some kind of injury throughout the season, but both have made big plays for Pitt. I think Jared Wayne's another guy, a taller, bigger wide receiver uh, that can make plays on the outside. And I think a kind of a wild card, maybe, is a uh, second year player, Jalen Barden uh, at 5'10", the you know, 175 pounds. He's kind of a smaller, quicker guy, but we did see in that Virginia Tech game, he made a few plays. I think he had a touchdown. So he's another name to remember. So Kenny Pickett has a pretty deep receiving core this year. And we, we talked to Mark Whipple today after practice and uh, his line, I think uh, to paraphrase a little was we have more receivers than other teams have cornerbacks. So I think he, he feels confident in that he can, you know, churn out a couple different guys each game. It's not always just going to be the Jordan Addison show. They have different options. So I, I thought that was interesting, and I think he feels comfortable maybe playing four or five, even six of those receivers. Yeah, I mean, even one play, even if you just have one running back out there, then you can have, let's see, quick math, you can have four receivers out there at once. 
So uh, I, I think that certainly wouldn't be a shocker to have four guys running around. I mean, that certainly goes to we've got more receivers than they've got running backs. And so you could definitely see two receivers on the outside, a slot receiver, a tight end, plus a guy out the backfield. I mean, this passing game could really take a big step up this year because you've got Kenny Pickett. And now it seems like just a very deep chart at the the receiver position. Absolutely. And I I do want to touch on the tight ends, like you said. And uh, another thing when we talked to Mark Whipple today is, you know, Lucas Kroll got hurt so early in the season last year. And you, you also saw that with Kyra a backup. So, you know, that they, the tight end position was almost lost. And I think that contributed to the running game lacking a little bit, not having that extra blocker in there, a reliable tight end. And also took away a, a pass cap catching option from Kenny Pickett. But, uh, you know, I think Lucas Kroll is a guy they're very excited about. I mean, you wouldn't, he passes the eye test, uh, you know, he's 6'6", 260, and he can move. And, you know, they're also excited about a true freshman. He's the only true freshman on the depth chart this year, uh, Gavin Bartholomew. He wasn't one of the heralded recruits from uh, Pitt's recruiting class. Uh, he was actually committed to Buffalo until Pitt kind of offered him late. But, uh, you know, those are two tight ends they think can play, and they think they can do some two tight end sets. So, again, when you, when you talk about the four or five receivers they're comfortable about, the two or three running backs they're comfortable about, and now they have two tight ends they think can come play – I mean, there's a lot of different combinations. And I think in a game, you know, when they open up on Saturday against UMass, that's a game where you can kind of try different things. Yeah, I'd be very interested to see who they decide to go with and how much they spread the ball around, because certainly the expectation is that they'll go up early and uh, and be able to have a little fun. Certainly that tight end position has has plagued Pitt for a few years now. They haven't found anyone reliable. So I know a lot of fans are hoping that, that it'll be Lucas Kroll and maybe Gavin Bartholomew. We'll certainly see. Uh, now, the offensive line, you've got returning players. What should we expect? I mean, in the past, the offensive line, it's been a lot of trouble for Kenny Pickett when it comes to pass protection. It's been an issue for the running backs where they haven't been able to create holes. Is this an offensive line that obviously when Paul Christ was with Pitt, he was an offensive line guy and they, they developed an excellent offensive line. They just didn't really have the skill players. Now they've got these skill players. Well, they had some skill players, but they just never were really able to put it together. Uh, now they they're really deep in all the positions. How's the offensive line going to do when it comes to pass blocking or run blocking and pass protection? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the million-dollar question with this whole football team, and that was kind of something we focused on in our camp coverage is what's going to happen with this offensive line. And, uh, you know, at the start of it, it was uh, kind of three guys battling for two spots at the tackles, and uh, it was Mac Gonsalves, the, the, the sophomore, pushing the two seniors, uh, Gabe Hoy and Carter Warren. But the two seniors have won the job. Uh, Gonsalves will still see some playing time, but uh, it right now it's the two seniors. And, uh, you know, on the inside, obviously, you're going to miss Jimmy Morrissey, a four-year starter at center, but he's being replaced by Owen Drexel, who, you know, has been in the program as long as Morrissey. He, he's just always never had that chance. And at guard, uh, it's going to be Marcus Minor. He's a, a graduate transfer from Maryland, had some success for the Terrapins, a former four-star recruit. And Jay Cradle, a local player that has also played a lot of games. So there's experience on that offensive line. They've had moments. It's, you know, we, we talk about the offensive failures and it's not that the Pitt's offense is bad all the time. It's just inconsistent. Uh, you can have those games where they, they rush for 250 yards against Georgia tech, 
But then you have those other games against Miami when they, they hardly can move the ball. So they need to find that right balance and kind of get more consistency. So I think there's talent there. I think there's, uh, you know, a lot of obviously a lot of experience when you're talking four seniors and a junior on the offensive line. So I, I, the big thing is creating room for the running backs and keeping Kenny Pickett clean. They've been able to throw the ball the past couple of seasons. So I, I think the real added emphasis this year is obviously to, you know, be better and, and run blocking. So we'll see what they can do. Obviously, UMass, they're probably going to be able to push around a little bit. That real test is probably going to be in week two when they go to Tennessee. Yeah, the, the run blocking certainly huge when you've got those three running backs who all came back. And then, of course, protecting Kenny Pickett is uh, is always the big thing. If he goes down, God knows what else happens to this team. Let's switch over to the defensive side. Uh, on the defensive line, uh, you there was so much talent the last couple of years. A uh, few players now gone, gone to the NFL, trying to make it. Uh, who do they have left? And uh, is this a unit that because it's been so powerful and so dominant for a few years, should we expect that con- to continue or should we maybe be looking for a bit of a downslide? Well, it's interesting because I mentioned we talk and we talked to Mark Whipple today. We also talked to Charlie Partridge today. And, um, you know, I think one of the big takeaways I got from that is he said he feels comfortable with six defensive tackles right now. Not six defensive linemen, but six guys that can play the two interior spots. Justin, wow. So that's that's a very interesting thing. And I mean, if you look at some of the names, Keyshawn Camp, he's been around for a while. Devin Danielson's a local guy. Uh, David Green's another local guy. Tyler Bentley. Uh, Kalijah Cansey was a fre- uh, freshman All-American last year. So there's a lot of a lot of good things happening there still. Um, I think the big thing he said this year is he had to play Jones and Weaver a lot last year. They didn't really come off the field a lot. He thinks this year it's going to be more by committee. And I can see what he's saying when he has six defensive tackles. You look at the defensive ends. There's John Morgan, Haba Baldonado, Deslin Alexander, uh, Dayon Hayes, uh, uh, you know, a Pittsburgh uh, four-star recruit, and even uh, Nakai Johnson, a, a true freshman who he, he kind of praised a little bit today. So there are options. I don't think there's going to be two consensus All-Americans on this defensive line. I don't know if there's going to be two guys drafted on this defensive line this year. But I still think they can be very productive, and I think they'll still have one of the better pass rushes in college football. Very interesting because, yeah, it is so difficult to land these star players, and obviously Pitt did between Weaver and Twyman and, and Patrick Jones. And then they go to the NFL, and in the past with Pitt, you've got these star players – they, they graduate or they go to the pros and then there's no one there to follow it up. We've seen it time and time again, outside of maybe the running back position. Uh, you know, Larry Fitzgerald goes to the NFL. No one really to replace him. Tyler boy, no one really to replace him. Uh, the quarterback position has happened. It's happened in so many cases, but with this defensive line position, it just seems to be a renewable source. And so uh, it'll, I mean, that would certainly be gigantic for Pitt if you lose all of that talent and you still, can have, as you mentioned, one of the better defensive lines in the country. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, you know, Partridge is usually quick to kind of downplay it or not, not overhype his guys, but he did seem kind of calmly and, you know, he, he likes what he has. There, there's no denying it. I mean, he, he, you could tell by the way he talked, uh, he, he believes in his guys. And I think it's kind of a culture he's built in his specific uh, position room. That defensive line is, uh, you know, he talked about how guys come in at five in the morning to watch film every day. And that's not a requirement. That's just what they do. So I think there's a really good, uh, good thing happening with the pit defensive line right now. And 
And, and that's a big credit to Charlie Partridge. So as long as he's uh, on Pitt's sideline, I think Pitt's going to have a pretty good defensive line. Yeah, that I certainly agree with Charlie Partridge. One of the top, it's got to, I don't know all the defensive line coaches in the country, but he's got to be way up there uh, as one of the very best. And, uh, and Pitt is really fortunate to have him because that unit has really excelled. Uh, the linebacker position. Also, there's been a lot of talent the last few years. They've got some returning talent. I mean, Phil Campbell is back. Cam Bright is back. Servasie Dennis, uh, you know, has really shined Wendell Davis. Uh, is this a unit that that we think can take a big step up with a lot of this returning talent? Yeah, and I think kind of the vibe around the team and camp this year was that this might be the deepest position group on the team. I think they feel pretty comfortable, like the defensive linemen, but they feel comfortable with, you know, maybe five, six, seven guys that can play. And you, you named a lot of the big ones, Cam Bright and Phil Campbell played a lot of football. Uh, you know, they contribute to that pass rush as well. I mean, they get a lot of tackles for loss. They get a lot of sacks. Servazier Dennis does the same thing. So that's three really good players right there. I mean, Chase Pine, it seems like he's been here forever. Uh, Wendell Davis, he's a guy we've heard about a lot, but he, he keeps getting injured early in the season. So I think, you know, with a healthy year, I think a lot of people are interested to see what he can do. So I think this is a very talented group. I think the one thing to watch, it's a, it's a new coach, Ryan Manilek, first year with the program. So it's kind of a you know, he walks into an interesting situation. He walks into a very talented group, but it's also probably tough to, you know, kind of juggle playing time and trying to figure out who your three best are. So for a young coach, I think this is probably a great challenge, but it's kind of like one of those old cliches. It's a good problem to have. Absolutely. And and now at that defensive back position, uh, this, I, I mentioned there are a lot of instances, a lot of units where you've got a lot of players coming back and uh, and you really know what to expect. This is not that unit. I mean, gone is Paris Ford, gone is Demar Hamlin, gone is Jason Pinnock. These are going to be a lot of players that we haven't heard of before. Uh, so, what? Sh- who should we be looking out for when it comes to those uh, those four uh, defensive back positions? Because in the past, they had some big names back there, and there are going to have to be some new names that step up this year. It seems. Yeah, I think with cornerback, I mean, with, uh, you know, Damari Mathis will be back and uh, he's he's played a lot of football for this team. And I think he, you know, he was injured last year. And I think that created an opportunity for some other guys. So you, you saw A.J. Woods and Marquez Williams kind of come in and play. And I think Marquez Williams played well. I mean, he's a little undersized. He's kind of built like an Avante Maddox type corner. But I, I think he can do a lot of good things. So those are three names to watch there. And the other one to kind of keep an eye on is MJ Devonshire, uh, an Aliquippa native, uh, Kentucky transfer. He uh, chose Kentucky over Pitt back in 2019. Things didn't really work out in Lexington. He transferred to Pitt and, you know, by all accounts, he had a great spring. He had a great fall camp and he's pushing for a playing time. So those are kind of your four cornerbacks. We'll see. Uh, again, it's, it's UMass in week one. So I think they can kind of mix and match and kind of see what they like. Um, but, you know, the, the real question for me in the secondary is safety. Um, you know, Pitt's defense really took a turn maybe towards the end of the 2018 season, early 2018. That's kind of whenever the Pitt defense started really kind of showing what it is. And I think a lot of that has to do with DeMar Hamlin. That's kind of whenever he started to emerge. They don't have DeMar Hamlin this year. I mean, it, these past two years when Pitt's ranked in the top 20, top 30 in defense, uh, you know, they had a ton of turnovers last year. I mean, they were a big play defense last year. It's because DeMar Hamlin was on the field. I think a lot of that 
you know, is a credit to him. So, uh, you know, right now it's Eric Hallett and um, Rashad Battle battling for that spot. And we'll kind of see that's one to watch throughout the season. Um, you know, they were listed as oars on the depth chart. So we'll see how that goes. And at the other spot is uh, Brandon Hill. Uh, he's a talented sophomore. Uh, we know Paris Ford left the team. I don't really know what we're going to call that, but uh, Brandon Ford did get uh, Brandon Hill did get some starts in place of Paris Ford, and you know he did play well. I think he had a pick six against Florida State. I think he made some plays. So I think there's some talent back there. But you know, I I, I would say Pitt's probably looking better at cornerback than safety, and it's not so much because of lack of talent. I think it's just kind of lack of experience. Um, and, and also what you're losing, because I think DeMar Hamlin was very valuable to what they did. And so I, I'm just interested to see how a guy like Eric Hallett or Rashad Battle kind of takes that spot from him. Yeah, that'll be really interesting. So definitely, you know, keep an eye out on some of those names, Eric Hallett, Rashad Battle, Brandon Hill, because, yeah, there, there's plenty of opportunity at this position. I mean, as you mentioned, with DeMar Hamlin gone and some of those other big names gone, uh, Pitt really needs to have a, a couple talented players in that uh, defensive backfield. That's sort of a, a huge part of the success that Pitt has had in recent years is because of the defensive backs, as you mentioned, because of DeMar Hamlin. And it's, it's a big question mark. So, I mean, that it seems like that and the offensive line, would you say that those are the two positions that are most up in the air when it comes to not entirely sure what to expect? Yeah, I'd say that's fair. I mean, I, I think there's some optimism with the secondary and definitely some skepticism with the offensive line, but those are two positions that need to prove themselves. And I guess, I guess we could finish on this position group because this is another one, kicker. Yep, no, that's a huge there, one. There is no Alex Kessman this year. He was one of, uh, arguably one of Pitt's best kickers of all time. I think he has a school record for most kicks over 50 yards. I mean, he was he was an asset for this program for four years. and. Right now, uh, they haven't named a kicker yet. So I, th I think uh, Sam Scart and Ben Sauls are battling it out right now, and they haven't named who it's going to be. And like I've said a couple times, it's UMass. They'll probably both get a chance. Um, but that's not a position you kind of want to be juggling going into game week is not knowing who your kicker is. And, you know, I think at times over the past couple of years, they've leaned on Alex Kessman a little bit too much. I, I don't know if it's – maybe change their play calling, knowing that, okay, if we don't get this third down, we know Alex Keskin can make this 48-yard field goal. They don't have that luxury this year. So I don't know if that changes how the whole offense goes. So it'll be interesting. I think kicker is actually as interesting as any position on the field for this program because Alex Keskin was a good one, and now they don't really know what they have. Yeah, it's really fascinating because on one hand, you know, you mentioned that they might have to consider things differently because they don't have a, a reliable kicker. I think a lot of fans actually kind of like that. They're going to have to think about things differently because they, in, in some cases, people thought they were a little bit too lax when it comes to a, a few plays. I remember of course, and this isn't really due to, okay, it's just because we've got a great kicker, but obviously one that sticks out is Penn State a couple of years ago on the road. Instead of going for it, they decide to try a field goal. And as it turned out, they missed the field goal. But just a lot of situations where you wonder where Pat Narduzzi, instead of deciding to be really aggressive and to go for it, they just opted to stay with the a field goal. 
And the question is, is that really just his philosophy no matter what? Or is that because they had so much trust in Alex Kessman? Uh, and then before that, there was Chris Blewett. I mean, Pitt has had so much stability at this position for years. And this is really the first time for a lot of people who've been following this program that they're not going to have stability. And yeah, it'll be really interesting to see if for Pat Narduzzi, it's just a philosophical thing to be a little bit more conservative or if it's just because he's had a lot of trust in the kickers in the past and this year that might not be the case. And so maybe he'll, he'll be a little bit more aggressive. Yeah. I mean, it was weird because we talked to Narduzzi and Whipple and they both kind of like pass the buck on who makes the decision. <laughs> Whipple was like, well, I don't do special teams. I'm not the head coach. And Narduzzi's like, well, Whipple calls the offense. So it's, his, you know, it was like, I don't really know what's going on. They, they both were kind of coy about it. So we'll kind of see how it goes, but I mean, Ben Sauls was recruited uh, to play at Pitt. Uh, Sam Starton's a walk on. Um, they don't always give specialists scholarships. So I think that's one thing to consider with Ben Sauls is he's a guy they were hoping that would win this job eventually. So we'll see. I, I think he was named the kickoff kicker. Uh, they're just still working on the place kicker right now. Yeah, so that, that'll that'll be uh, pretty fascinating uh, to look at that job. And then just to wrap things up really quickly, punter, no doubt about it, Kirk Christodoulou, uh, he has, uh, he's come up big in the past. And it's kind of weird. He's a senior now. Time flies. But uh, he is back at the punter and certainly seems to be a lot of uh, stability and a lot of faith in him. Yeah, absolutely. And Cal Adamidas back at long snapper. So they have two other three, uh, you know, big special teams guys that like, and it's funny because those guys are friends. And I, I even talked to Kirk, I, I asked him, you know, early on in camp, I'm like, you like know what, like pay attention what's going on at practice. He's like, no, like we specialists, we just kind of do our own thing. Like, <laughs> I, might, I might glance over the practice field. But really, like, he's like, I, I'm paying attention to the kicking battle, because those are the guys I hang out with. <laughs> honestly it's like a, a completely different world it's just fascinating uh when, when uh i i just keep going back to the water boy with the the special teams just being a totally separate uh separate unit why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them with royal caribbean you don't just go to the beach you visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in north america you don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, before we talk about the season as a whole, uh, and this will actually sort of roll into it, uh, the coaching staff mentioned Mark Whipple, um, and then for, for Pat Narduzzi, it's it's a big year, both tied in with Mark Whipple, because obviously he's put a lot of faith in him at offensive coordinator and the results haven't quite been there. Uh, and then just for Pat Narduzzi himself, I mean, this is a season where and again, in just a second, we'll talk about expectations. But if he doesn't reach whatever the expectations are, it's there's a chance that this could be his last season. 
you never know. But outside of the first three or even four years when you've sort of got that uh, that cushion, that comfort of, okay, give him time. And then after the, the last couple years, things have been good but not great. And it's been certainly enough for him to keep his job. And I think everyone wants it to work out. But there is that big question, uh, you know, could this be the last year if they underwhelm? Yeah, I think you would have to really underwhelm. But I, I also think an underwhelming season really puts them on the hot seat for next season. Um, I, I, when talking about Pat Narduzzi and talking about this program right now, it's um, the one thing I kind of come up with is they're doing everything right, but having the big winning season. They just had their most players drafted since 2004. They had six guys drafted in April. Uh, they just had a top 25 recruiting class, their first one in, I think, maybe 10 years. Um, they're, they're, they're towards the top of the country and uh, fewest guys transferring. I mean, they, they retain their players. There's a good culture in, the, in that building right now. I think the players like playing for them. So, I mean, there's a lot of good things with that program, a, a lot of good you know, things to hang your hat on and set that big winning season. So, and, and, you know, we're even just looking at this roster right, right now, um, defensively. I mean, when he first got here, that, that defense, they were using walk-ons, they were using converted wide receivers at linebacker. I mean, it was, it wasn't, I mean, you look, there's depth at all three spots on defense and, you know, the offensive depth is starting to get there. So there's a lot of good things going right for this program. They just need to win more than eight games or more than seven games for once. And I think that's kind of the big deal. So if there's ever going to be a year to do it, I guess we're kind of segueing into the season preview. It's, but a lot of things set up well on the schedule. You have your toughest games at home. You don't have a tough non-conference schedule. You have the senior quarterback. It looks like you still have the good defense. So if there's a year to go, you know, be better than seven and five, be better than eight and four, it's probably 2021. Yeah, w- without a doubt. I mean, having Kenny Pickett back, I think that is really what set everything into, you know, okay, all the chips are in on this season. Because after this year, it's really anybody's guess on who on how good Pitt can be because there's not a, a surefire next quarterback. I mean, Nick Patty, he's the backup, seems serviceable, but you never know. Davis Bevel, maybe, you know, but but it's really just a huge question mark. What you know is that you've got Kenny Pickett for this one more season, and so it seems without a doubt, yeah, if you're going to make a run, you've got to have a, a good quarterback, and now's the time to do it. So when it comes to expectations – I mean, seven and five is is essentially sort of the benchmark every year. But is it fair to expect? And then we'll go into prediction in just a second. But is, do you think it's fair to expect eight wins? That if they finish seven and five this season, that people would be rightfully very angry? Or do you think, for where Pitt is, looking at the schedule, all that, that it should be okay, seven and five? You'll accept that as long as you have a winning record. That's fine. Or should eight and four really be the benchmark this season? And anything below that really is when the seat gets hot. Yeah, I'm starting to think it, it should be eight and four this year, just because even looking at the schedule, if they just lose to the teams that are ranked higher than them and beat the teams they're supposed to, they 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 can get to eight to eight and four rather easily. So I think that's that should be the expectation. I think maybe 
other years it was seven and five, I, but I think they can kick it up a notch. And I mean, I think there's a path to nine wins. I, I, I don't know if we'll get there. I don't know if they'll get to nine or 10, but I, I mean, if things shake in the right direction, sure. I mean, the ACC coastal, as we know, every year is unpredictable. It's chaos. Um, it's always chaos. It's not a very difficult non-conference schedule this year. Um, you know, we, we've been talking about how this defense can be pretty good and Kenny Pickett and all that. So, I mean, they, they should be better than seven and five this year. I, I think that's kind of the expectation. So, you know, if they go six and six or worse or seven and five and, you know, have a bad loss mix in there. I mean, I think that's whenever you go into the 2022 season and you start worrying about, you know, if you're Pat Narduzzi about your job a little bit, because I think, you know, Heather like really hasn't come right out and said it, but she said in so many words that we want the football program to be better. I mean, I, they, they get the most resources on campus. They, you know, they get anything they want. Um, so at, at, to a certain point, I mean, Pitt, Pitt does have a ceiling as a program. They're, they're not Clemson. They're never going to be Clemson. But to a certain point, they can be a little more consistent. And if they just cut out the dumb losses each year, I mean, whenever you lose to Boston College and NC State by one point in consecutive weeks, if you cut out doing things like that and just win the games you're supposed to, um, then you can, you can have a more successful program. Because if you look at Pat Narduzzi's record year by year, you know, one win better each season, and you probably feel a whole lot better about the guy. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, uh, I mean, nine wins sounds really difficult. Really, For a Pitt fan, it sounds impossible. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I mean, just think about how incredible that would be for this program and for the fans if they get nine wins, and it just hasn't happened. And, uh, you know, if they can manage to do that, then, I mean, that is essentially as good as it's going to get for Pitt until like Dabo Sweeney leaves Clemson, right? Like you're not going to win an ACC championship as long as Clemson's there. Uh, you're not going to go undefeated. You're not going to make the college football playoff. That's just what it is. But if you can get nine wins, that is the benchmark. That would be a huge season. And I think fans would be really happy. Uh, let's sort of break down the schedule and give a, a prediction. We'll start just with the first four games. The non-conference schedule, they put it all together so there's not one that's lingering mid-season. They will start with four non-conference. It'll be UMass at home, Tennessee on the road, Western Michigan at home, and New Hampshire at home. Uh, UMass and New Hampshire definitely seem like layup wins. Western Michigan should be a win, but you never know with Pitt. And then, of course, the big game is at Tennessee. Uh, what do you think from Pitt? I mean, I mean, do you think, and with your prediction, do you think that they go 4-0 in the non-conference, or do you think that they lose to Tennessee or do you think they beat Tennessee and then lose to Western Michigan, which would be very pit like. Um, I, I, I kind of already did a season prediction on Panther layer. So I'm going to kind of go off of that, but I do have them going four and in the non-conference, which will be the first time ever since Pitt joined the conference that they would go undefeated in non-conference play. It's never happened. They joined the big East in 1991. Since then they've never gone undefeated. And that's insane. It is insane, and I was on a, a podcast, uh, an ACC podcast, and I, I dropped that stat, and those guys, I, they couldn't believe it. <laughs> they, they didn't, they, they like had to go look it up. They like stopped recording the podcast to look it up. And this but, is not, and by the way, this is not scheduling incredibly tough non-conference. This is not, you know, week one, Clemson versus Georgia. This is Pitt blowing it against Youngstown State. That's how this happened. Yeah, that's how it usually. I mean, they they've had some they've had some years where they've played 
way too tough of a non-conference schedule, but that, that's how it always worked. I think that one year when LaShawn McCoy was at Pitt, they, they lost to Bowling Green, but then they beat everyone else. It's like, it's always something like that. So I guess that's what you're saying is, yeah, they'll beat Tennessee this year, but watch them lose to Western Michigan. So I have them going 4-0 this year. I, I, I My whole thought with Tennessee is going there and playing in front of 100,000 people sounds more daunting than the actual team itself. Uh, they, they, they won three games last year. They have a brand new coach and Josh Heupel and, you know, Pitt, Pitt has seen Central Florida and Josh Heupel a couple times and Central Florida wasn't even that great. So I don't even know if Tennessee fans are like totally on board with him. So I, I think, you know, just going on the road and playing in front of that atmosphere is probably, you know, a little more scary than actual Tennessee itself. Yeah, I mean, it, certainly when they scheduled it, it seemed a little bit odd. I mean, this was scheduled it was back when I was a student. So I, I think it was 2014, 2015. Uh, when you scheduled it, maybe a little bit odd, but it actually worked out for once. Normally it doesn't work out. Normally you schedule these series like UCF and they turn into, you know, national champions with an asterisk years later. With Tennessee, it actually worked out that they are sort of on a, on a downswing and it's a noon kickoff. So that one... Certainly winnable for the Panthers. Okay, so the prediction that you've got is 4-0. Then this is their conference schedule. This is what's left. At Georgia Tech, at Virginia Tech, at home versus Clemson. So there's almost definitely a loss. Uh, at home versus Miami, at Duke, home against North Carolina, home against Virginia, on the road against Syracuse. What do you expect from that? Obviously, there are going to be some really tough games in there. Clemson exceptionally difficult. North Carolina is going to be a challenge. Miami's going to be a challenge. You can never count out Virginia tech. Uh, so, so what, what do you think we should see? What's your prediction for the ACC schedule? Yeah, I, I had four and in the non-conference. I, I, I'm at five and three in the conference. I, I, I think you, you lose to Clemson, uh, you know, the, at, by the time that game rolls around, they could be the number one team in the country coming to Heinz field and all the hoopla that will come with that. Um, I'm not totally sold on Miami, but Pitt just has never matched up well with them. Um, Even though Miami has not been a power, you know, for years since even joining the ACC, it's just a team Pitt has never matched up well with. And uh, the other loss I have is like, I kind of switched a few around. Like I I think they're going to beat North Carolina, which is, you know, that'll be their big win at home on a Thursday night. But I have them losing to Virginia tech on the road because Looking at that series, the home team always wins uh, just the past, like the way it's gone. And I don't think Virginia Tech's a great thing. I, I, I don't think Justin Fuente's doing all that great of a job. But for whatever reason, I think, you know, going to Lane Stadium is always a tough task. And they, they seem to, you know, Pitt, Pitt blew them out last year. But then two years ago, Virginia Tech won 28 nothing. Um, so that's just, you know, one of those things. But, you know, looking at the rest of the schedule, I mean, Georgia Tech, that's a team you should beat. Uh, even though it's on the road for the third year in a row. Um, I, I still think they're kind of in rebuilding mode. Uh, Duke has a lot of things they need to work out. Uh, Syracuse is obviously struggling. So, I mean, those are three games you should win right there. And Virginia is probably somewhere in between your toughest games and those three, but it's at home. So I think that's another one you can win. So obviously North Carolina, Miami, Clemson, Virginia Tech, those are the four you have to worry about. Uh, Clemson, you're probably not going to beat. Um, you might, you know, maybe steal one or two of the other ones. So it's a difficult schedule, but again, it lines up well because 
Clemson and Miami and North Carolina are your three toughest games, and they're all at Heinz Field. It's interesting. So I think last year we saw this Pitt team lose four games in a row. They sort of hit a slide. I could see that happening again. So I think I think they're going to go three and one in the non-conference. I don't know if that is losing to Tennessee, which would make some sense, or if it's beating Tennessee, everyone's really amped, and then you lose to Western Michigan next week. Like That would not surprise me at all, just because I've been following Pitt for a while. Uh, so I think that's possible. But either way, I see them going three and one. I agree with you in the conference, I think five and three. Uh, I agree with you. I think the first, con- I think they're going to beat Georgia Tech. I think at Virginia Tech, I think they lose to the Hokies. There's just something about that program with Pat Narduzzi that for, for a while it was North Carolina. They seem to have figured that out. Now, Virginia Tech, I, I mean, it's it's not like it was with North Carolina where you can't beat them, but it's just no matter what's going on, it's just always, it always feels like a hotly contested game uh, when, when those two teams play each other. Although I, I think last year uh, wasn't. Uh, but, you know, for, for the most part, Pitt, Virginia Tech has, has become, uh, you know, that, that's become a pretty big game, uh, even though last year was a blowout. I just checked. It was 47 to 14. Uh, but uh, but I could see that Pitt loses that one, like you said. Uh, I think then the next week you've got Clemson. I think that's a loss. I, I think, you know, the super weapon, it, it can only launch you know, such an incredible missile and they did it in 2016 and it was incredible, but I think that was the, that was the one shot. And uh, then I, I think they lose to Miami. I think they lose to Miami, even though it's at home, as you said, there's just something with that program. I don't think the hurricanes are great, uh, but I, I think that, uh, that that's, it's just a difficult program. I think they win at Duke, North Carolina, I think is a big win for Pitt. Uh, I think they're a good team. I think Mac Brown, he's done a better job than I thought he was going to do when they hired him. But I also think that the pit is able to beat them. Now, finally, the curse was lifted. And so I think that's the big win. And then they beat Virginia and they win at Syracuse. So I, I think the pit loses three in a row. Everyone goes nuts. And then they win out and they beat Duke and North Carolina, Virginia and Syracuse to close out the season. So that's my prediction. We both say five and three in the ACC. Uh, you say one win better in the non-conference. So you've got them going uh, nine and three. And I've got them going eight and four. Really, in both of our cases, that would be a a good, if not in your case, a very good season. In my case, still a good season and one that I think most fans would take. Um and then the you know the big question is just can they actually go out and do it? Yeah, I, I mean, looking at our at our predictions, we're 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 the same in in ACC. We both have that three game losing streak, but you know, sandwiched with you know two wins to start and three wins to finish. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting if that's how it plays out to live through uh, Twitter and message. Board. Oh my god, that three week stretch, brutal. I mean, last year the four week stretch. I, yeah. I, the, the podcast episodes I did, I think, you know, Narduzzi's got to be gone. Whipple's got to be gone. And, you know, I, people got really negative and understandably so, especially the way that they lost them. But yeah, in the midst of a losing streak, you can look back and say, oh, wasn't that weird? When you're in the middle of it, it's brutal. Yeah, it, it can be. Then I think they kind of snapped it. They, they, they kind of, they handled Florida State. And I think everyone kind of, was okay again. It's a, a win can cure a lot of things, but um, yeah. To, but 
yeah, it's like you said, it's a matter of going out and doing it. I think they're capable of doing it. Um, you know, again, the, the thing I mentioned before we started predicting games is they just need to avoid the, the, the dumb losses. You know, it, you can lose to North, or, you know, North Carolina or Miami or Clemson. Those are teams you're, you're expected to lose to, but don't lose to Georgia tech. Don't lose to Virginia. Don't lose to Syracuse. Don't lose like games like that. I think that's what this program uh, to take a step forward, to show growth is to just handle business. And for the most part, I, I'd say Pat Narduzzi's teams have done that maybe more so than some of his predecessors. I, like I, they don't really definitely have, more than Paul Christ. Yeah. Like there's not like that, like, head scratching loss every year. I mean, there are some you, you'd like to have back, but um, yeah, just avoid those kind of games. And I, I, th- I think the rest can take care of itself. I agree. I think, yeah, if you lose to Clemson, fine. If you lose to North Carolina, fine. If you lose to Miami, fine. They're all at home. So not ideal, but okay. And maybe even one other, if you lose at Tennessee or you lose at Virginia tech, understandable. Uh, but if you lose anything more than that, then fans are going to be really upset. I, I mean, and I think that sort of goes to that benchmark about eight wins. You can lose those three games, Clemson, Miami, North Carolina, and then one more, whether it's Virginia Tech or Tennessee or whatever, and still have an eight win season and be fine. But if you lose more than that, if you lose to both Virginia Tech and Tennessee, or if you lose somehow to Western Michigan, or you lose, as you mentioned, to Syracuse, Georgia Tech, that's when people are going to start getting angry. Yeah, I mean, Pitt is so unreliable. And so they're almost predictable in how unpredictable they are that I think if all they did was just beat the teams they're supposed to beat and lose to the teams they're supposed to lose to, fans would be fine with that, especially because where they are set up roughly, that would set that would finish them at about seven to eight wins, maybe even nine. Uh, you know, that that would be fine. It's just avoiding those stupid losses, as you said. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it wouldn't take much to just get to eight and four with just beating teams that you're better than. That's all yeah. they have to do. Yeah, exactly. Three gimme losses, which none of them are. Well, Clemson might be a gimme, but okay. Miami and UNC, you can beat. But okay, even if it's a loss, that still has you at nine wins. Then even giving you one more, giving you either Tennessee or Virginia Tech on the road, that's fine. Still has you at eight wins. It's not a ton to ask to win the rest of them. I think both of us agree, and, and we'll see if they can do it. Uh, Jim, any final thoughts? Obviously, you've been close to the team. You've been able to, to cover them. Uh, it's a whole lot better this year uh, now that, uh, that, that you know, vaccines are up and, and you're able to uh, you know, cover them properly. You weren't able to last year, but now you're back. Um, so any, any final thoughts before we exit this one? Any final predictions? Anything uh, we should look out for or any insight? Yeah, actually, to step away from uh, the Pitt football team, I actually want to talk about Cardiac Hill, um, you know, with some news this week that uh, Anson is stepping down. And, uh, you know, he, he did a great job running this blog for many years, and he brought a lot of Pitt fans and a lot of Pitt people together. And he gave a lot of people opportunities, and uh, including myself. Um, I, I don't know if I'd be where I am today uh, covering the team full time unless, you know, he, he brought me to Cardiac Hill. I noticed Stephen Gertz. He's also a ex cardiac hill guy working with Panther layer. He kind of said the same thing. So, um, you know, it, it was kind of, it was a special place for a long time and it holds a special place in my heart. And I, I you know, I thank Anson and, you know, it, it was just, it was fun when I first started doing it, you know, now it's like, it is my job. It is repetitive. I cover pit all the time, but 
you know, I do have to like step back and think, I'm like, this is actually a pretty fun job, but um, you know, he, he kind of opened a lot of doors for me. So I, I do thank him for that. A hundred percent. I was actually going to record something uh, at the end, you know, after, uh, after we finished, uh, but yeah, um, 100% Anson uh, who has led cardiac hill, since it began. I mean, he's the one that started it and it's pretty incredible. It's one of the sites that got me into pit sports. When I arrived as a freshman in 2011, I was not a college football fan. I was not a pit fan or a college sports. I should say. I mean, I, I followed very passively, uh, being from the Philly area, you know, you're aware of Penn state football, you're aware of Villanova basketball, but that's mostly it. I, I just wasn't into it and uh, I got to pit and I quickly fell in love in large part because uh, of cardiac hill. You know, it was a source that um, brought me all the news about what was going on. It had spin on it. It had, you know, great writers, people explaining things and, uh, and, and, you know, it was just all in one spot and, and obviously it was free, which uh, you know, as a freshman college student, very helpful. Um, and, and Anson, you know, so just the site as a whole has been great for me just as a, as a fan of Pitt, as a reader and all that. And then um, joining this podcast uh, some years back or joining cardiac hill to do a podcast wasn't even something that I initially was thinking of doing. Um, and, you know, all the way Anson has just been incredibly supportive and just uh, allowed me to, um, uh, you know, do this as best soft fit. I mean, Jim, I didn't even really know you when I first started because obviously everything cardiac hill was before the pandemic, before zoom, we weren't in an office. It's, you know, just people doing it, uh, from their own houses. So I didn't know you and he's the one that suggested, you know, yeah, you know, we've got Jim on staff, uh, you know, maybe uh, do the podcast with him. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was great for years doing it with you. And 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 that's because Anson suggested it. And then again, just sort of uh, giving me the the ability to to do things as I was able to do and do things as um, I saw best fit. And, uh, you know, just really incredible. All that being said, the site is not dying, nor is Anson. Um, Anson is still going to be around. He is uh, still going to be a part of cardiac hill. It's just with his full-time job, he wasn't able to, to keep up with the time commitment, but he'll still be around. He'll still be as a part of cardiac hill and the website still going strong. Mike Wilson is now, uh, the editor in chief and, uh, this podcast is still going to be going. The website's still going to be going. It's still going to be a great spot, uh, to keep up with Pitt and, uh, you know, just a home for, uh, people who are passionate about this, getting to, to do, uh, what they're passionate about. And then in, in some cases, Jim, like yourself, you know, being able to springboard that into a, into a full-time career. So um, again, just Anson Whaley, thank you for everything because yeah, it uh, it's, it's really been one hell of a ride here and it's not stopping, but it would not be possible without Anson. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, he did, he brought a lot of good people together. I, I met a lot of friends um, and it, it, it's just been fun kind of, you know, I, I maybe 2011 is kind of whenever I started about then and just kind of following the team from that perspective and him giving me that opportunity. I, you know, I met Anson at some tailgates and some games and coverage and that kind of stuff. So he's a great guy. Uh, he, he's done a wonderful job and he really opened up a lot of doors for a lot of people. A hundred percent. And uh, we are deeply, deeply appreciative uh, of Anson. 
Um, and yeah, like, like I said, he's, he's not going anywhere. Fortunately, he just won't be leading the site. Um, and, uh, but you know, incredibly grateful and looking forward to the future, uh, here at cardiac Hill. Uh, we want to thank you all so much for joining us. We're going to be doing new episodes. The plan is every Tuesday, um, just because of my personal schedule, I don't think I'd be able to get it done. Uh, over the weekend to have them up by Monday morning. Uh, so the plan is Tuesday. It might work out where they're able to, to come up a little bit early on Monday, but there will be a new episode every week talking about the pit football game that we just saw and then looking ahead to next week. Uh, but without a doubt, this podcast is back and will continue to go this season. So, so we are not going anywhere. Uh, Jim, he's also obviously around. You can uh, see, check out his work at Panther Lair. You can also follow him on Twitter at Jim Hammett. Uh, with two M's and two T's. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Corey E. Cohen, C-O-R-E-Y-E-C-O-H-E-N. And uh, again, CardiacHill.com, source for all things pit sports. And, uh, you know, the podcast will be available there. Also available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, all of that. You can download it. Make sure you subscribe, search for Cardiac Hill, and you'll get the uh, podcast episodes delivered to you right when they drop. Again, Jim Hammond over at Panther Lair. Make sure you check them out. Again, thank you all so much for joining us in this one, and we look forward to a brand new season of pit football. The optimism is high for now. I'm sure it won't stay, but we're going to be there the entire ride. Thanks so much, everyone. I'm Corey Cohen. And for my uh, co-host this episode, Jim Hammett, signing off from Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill podcast.